Hey, good morning. 40 cough drops later and two boxes of tea, I'm here and I can speak, which is good. My voice was absolutely gone yesterday, and I am thankful to be able to share with you because I believe the Lord has something for all of us to hear this morning. Have you ever had a time in your life when you've been totally doomed? Um, that might come on a spectrum or a scale of, of different experiences. Uh, a couple of them for me. We had a washing machine break a long, long time ago. We called in the repairman. It, nothing was working, and it was the guy that kind of looked like Don Knotts. He had his pants kind of pulled up to here. He was an old guy. He kind of had his like tool belt, and he had like, a little the, the the bag of tools that he had. And he said, "Well, uh, let me take a look at it." And he kind of goes in there, and it's almost like one of those experiences. Like he's sticking his head into the thing, and like his feet are flailing up in the air, and you hear tinkering and all kinds of stuff going on. And he comes out, and he looks at me, and he says, "Well." You're doomed. And I said, well, can you explain what that means? The thing's not going to work. You're going to need a new one. I thought, all right, that's great. That wasn't the first time in my life that I heard the words, you're doomed. A time that happened sometime before that came from an eight-year-old. I was a camp counselor. I was at Alpine Conference Center and uh, worked there for a few years. And the guy who normally led the night hike was sick. And so they looked to me and said, can you lead the night hike? And I tend to overpromise and at times underdeliver, trying to change that. Um, but I decided that I could take the, the helm and lead 120 fourth through sixth graders through the San Bernardino Mountains. You know that, that moment where you actually, like, you send all the kids back to their bed and you get them all back up and you say, we're going on a night hike. And they're like just kind of pumped with curiosity. And you do the thing where you hike up to the top of the mountains and you look at stars and you, you tell them like, this is this star and this is that star. And you do the little thing where you put like the certs in your mouth and you bite it and it sparks up. Have you ever done that before? I got us to the top of the mountain. The problem was getting back down. It was a night hike. We couldn't use flashlights. I had one, and that wasn't helping me at all. And after going in circles for what should have been just about a 45-minute hike, about two hours later and way past all of their bedtime, the kid who's following right behind me as I stop, and there's one of the leaders who says, like, whispering to me, like, where are we? The eight-year-old chimes in and says, we're doomed, huh? <laughs> And he looks at me with authority that he didn't have, but he had in that moment. And I was willing to take it and said, you got us lost and now you have to get us back. And I'm going to tell my mom. <laughs> Today, I want us to think about this idea of us and our lostness. We're going to talk about salvation and how salvation comes from faith in Jesus Christ. I just gave you the ending. That's where we're going to end up. But along the way, that, that's what we need to know. That, that we have a God that has poured himself out for us. And loves us. And wants us to be saved. But our problem is that we have trouble receiving that. We feel like we have to earn it. We have to do something for it. Whenever we're lost, we have to find our way out. That's not how it works with God. God reaches down to us. In fact, that's one of the unique things about Christianity is that 
In all other religions, you have these religions where man must reach up to God and get right and do something so that they can earn their way into heaven or salvation or paradise or eternity or whatever that looks like. Christianity is different because it is a God who reaches down to man and says, you are mine. You don't have to earn it and I love you. And so we are in the middle or the beginning of a series called Set Free. We're looking at the book of Romans, and I want to specifically look at Romans chapter 3, verse 21. So if you have your Bibles, iPads, iPhones, or a Bible in the seat rack in front of you, if you could go to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to talk about, and everything that we've talked about up until this point, and where Pastor Matt Doan was last week, is that we've gotten ourselves lost. And now we have to get found And how do we take care of that? And so there's some good news in the midst of all of this. And it's faith. It's faith alone that saves us. And a lot of times we have this idea that we are lost. And so now what? What are we supposed to be doing? Look with me. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. It says this. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, shown, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, and now a verse that many of you have heard, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's this idea of What does it take to get right with God? Now, according to God, he has an idea of how this is going to work. I want us to sit with that, and we have an outline. It's in the bulletin, so you can pull that out. But this first idea is, how do we get right with God according to God? Because he is kind of the one who wrote the rule book. But in many ways, we've changed it. So in a few minutes, we're going to talk about getting right with God according to us and how we've kind of blown this all up. But God... Wants us to get right with him. Now you think about somebody that you have gotten it wrong with. That you maybe even started off on the bad foot with. Or you have just not gotten along with. When we ruin our relationship with somebody. There are often steps that have to be taken. To get back into a right relationship with somebody. Guys if you blow it with your wife. You might need to get flowers and chocolate right. If you blew it with your kids. You might be going to Toys R Us. But what is it that we are supposed to be doing when we have blown it with God? That idea of us blowing it with God is what verse 23 is all about. For all have sinned. We have all sinned. We've all messed up. And we fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you look at this passage, it says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, there is no distinction. Faith and this relationship with God... And you're going to see this as we kind of talk it through this morning. Was about the chosen people. God's chosen people. The seed of Abraham. The Jewish people. Having faith in this relationship with God. But there's no distinction. Not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. Everybody has sinned. According to the law. There was a law that that was put forth. And you can even see it. It says... The righteousness of God, the holiness of God has been manifested. Notice it doesn't say the righteousness of God has been earned, but it has been manifested. If you were to pull back the covers and if you ask people today, go out in the street, how do you get to heaven? What do you have to do? People would say you have to follow the laws. You have to 
do the right thing. So if you pull back the covers on salvation, what you will see underneath is the Ten Commandments. What Paul is trying to say here is if you pull back the covers on salvation, you will see the cross. It's been manifested. It's not something that is supposed to be earned. And it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Jesus takes a couple of his disciples and they go to what we now call the Mount of Transfiguration. And he is seen in his glory. But there are two characters that show up. One is Moses and one is Elijah. And they are essentially putting their seal on Jesus saying, everything that the law and everything that the prophets were foreshadowing and talking about, we're putting our seal on Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all of that. So Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets show up and they say he is the one. And so this is witness. And it shows the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for every person who believes, Jew or Gentile. So we look at this, and then it says being justified as a gift. Think about Christmas, or if you're Jewish, that would be just me. But you come down on Christmas morning, and you see the tree, and it's all lit up, and there's all of these presents. It's the gift. This is a beautiful thing. It's the elation, and it's the joy of salvation. It's not just opening up a, a little fun present from Toys R Us, but this is salvation. Being justified as a gift. By His grace through the redemption. Uh, on the back of the outline, I put up a few terms. And, and this whole section of, of Scripture, verses 21 through about 26, 27, is, is called the intelligence of the Christian. If, if you can kind of explain your way through this, then this, this is where a lot of our faith and our salvation, our theology comes from. But a couple of these terms, one of these terms is justification. This is a legal term that, that basically says you are not guilty. I put some cross-references in there. You can do some deeper study on that. But guys, I want you to picture this for a second. You get in a fight with your wife. If you want that to come to an end at all, I promise you that if you go up to her and say, we, we are not getting along. Um, this is really bad. It's okay though. I forgive you. <laughs> is that going to end it? No, you just started it all over again for new reasons, right? See, what your wife does not want is your mercy and forgiveness. What she wants is to be justified. She wants to be declared not guilty. As if you had never done anything wrong. And so we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. There's this other term in there that says... It's redemption. We have been redeemed. It's to buy or pay for a slave and then turn them loose. There has to be some kind of payment. And so Jesus paid for us and then we were set free. So we're lost and we have to find our way out. And so there's God's solution to God's dilemma. Now God is not sitting in heaven thinking, I, I don't know what to do. This is a dilemma. But there's this idea that... that we have to get into heaven somehow, but we have not earned it according to our works by the law. We, we are not very great at following the law, but, but check this out. In verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Payment by blood. The commerce, the currency that we're talking about has to be blood. Old Testament, we have the whole sacrificial system. 
In Leviticus 17, it says that life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. There has to be some kind of payment in blood. We used to sacrifice animals, and now Jesus is that perfect sacrifice, and we are redeemed through that payment. But it was displayed publicly as a propitiation. This is a word means to satisfy wrath. Now, I want you to picture a drunk driver has crashed into your car, you're injured, your car is messed up, your insurance is going to pay for your medical bills in your car, but you are mad. Just the fact that those things get replaced and paid for does not satisfy your wrath. You want that person sent to jail. This is satisfying the wrath of God. Jesus took it. It was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, God's solution to God's dilemma, a lot of people will come up and they will say this question, how can a loving God send a man to hell? Have you heard that before? If God is so loving, then why do people go to hell? This is not a biblical question. This is not a real issue. The real issue is how can a holy and a just God get a sinner into heaven and not compromise his nature? See, not only is God merciful, but he is just. If we all just got into heaven, we messed things up when we've sinned and we've done all of these things over the course of our life and we get in with a wink and a smile and God says, hey, glad you're here. I know you messed up, but you're in. God would be merciful, but Satan would be having the last laugh saying, that's not real justice. I've told this story in here before, but just real quickly, you have to hear this because this is the picture. If God sets up the law and then he doesn't enforce the law, then he is not a just God. The the story goes that there was this Indian chief in a village and everybody's poor and, and, and theft is a huge problem. And so the elders of the community get together and they say, We need to make a rule. This is going out of control. And so we need to make an example. We need to enforce a law. And so they decided that the next person that they caught stealing from another person, they were going to be tied to a pole and beaten. They announced this rule, this new law, to everybody into the village. And they wait. Later that night, the Indian village chief has been awoken. And they said, somebody has been caught breaking the law. The chief says, bring him forward. And as the person is brought forward, he sees the silhouette. As the silhouette comes closer, he sees that this person is his mother. And he looks, and now there's a dilemma. What am I going to do? He says, tie her up. See, if he just said, well, she broke the law. I'm going to give you a wink. You get off this time. It's all right. Does anybody follow the law anymore? He's not just. He's only merciful. See, God in his justice has to solve this problem. In this story, just as his mother was about to receive the punishment for her sin, he says, hold on. And he goes up and he wraps himself around her and he takes the beating. See, the solution to this dilemma is God becomes man and God takes the hit. God sends his only son, Jesus, and he takes what we were supposed to be receiving ourselves and he takes it upon himself. That is God's solution. We are not redeemed with gold or silver or precious things, but it says by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, 
It was his blood and our faith in his blood that gives us salvation. It was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, this word forbearance, it it means patience, that God is patient. And he passed over the sins previously committed. What I love about this, the cross came, Jesus died on the cross about 2,000 years ago, but before that, There were a couple of millennia of people sinning and not following the word of God. But before the cross, how did they get in? They got in because of their faith. But at that that moment of transfiguration, when Jesus is with Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah show up and they testify and they put their seal on Jesus, do you know what they're saying? This is what it says in Luke 9, the transfiguration says, Behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory, what were they talking about? We're speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah are showing up to Jesus saying, don't miss the cross. Our salvation is dependent on it. They received salvation as a credit payable due upon the cross. Does that make sense? The cross covers our sins going backwards and it covers our sins this present time and it covers the sins that we will be committing tomorrow so this idea is that god saves and we don't it's not in our own works if you look with me in verse 27 it says where then is boasting it's excluded we we didn't do anything by what kind of law of works did we do something to get this salvation no but if there is a law it's the law of faith For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. We are saved, declared not guilty by faith, apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith, the Jewish people by faith, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith. We have one God. There's not the God of the Jews and the God of the Gentiles and there's a different playbook. One God covers all for all who have sinned and then for all who believe. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Is the law worthless? No. You know what? The law didn't come to condemn us. We received the law as confirmation of our relationship with God. Not condition. God did not give us the law as a condition of our faith, but he gave us the law as a confirmation that we are his people. So if this is how we are saved, it's not something that we can boast about. Ephesians, it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, something you did, that no one should boast. Otherwise, it would be a big competition. What did you do for God this week? Oh, you are more saved than I am. Titus talks about this also. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds or works which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace we would be made heirs we receive an inheritance according to the hope of eternal life that is getting right with god according to god but here's where we mess it up 
Getting right with God, according to us, we've turned it into something that we have to do. In your outline, there's three things that were just as applicable then as they are now. We are not saved by works. We are not saved by religion. And we are not saved by the law. Let's look at the first one. We are not saved by works. In Romans chapter 4, we're going to move forward and plow through it. You ready? What then shall we say to Abraham? Here's an example of faith, okay? He's going to lay out this entire chapter 4. It's about Abraham. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, if he got in, if he was declared not guilty by the things that he had done, by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You're going to see this phrase come up a few times. It's, it's this idea of credited. It was imputed. You take the righteousness of God and you put it and deposit it into the account of Abraham. Because of his faith, the righteousness of God was taken and put into his account. And now he is saved. He receives the righteousness of God. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. If you go to work and you say, could you do me a favor and give me some money for what I just did? We would have some problems with our bosses because we're not working for favors. We are, what we have done, we have earned and we are due our pay for that. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And then we have another example of David. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness Apart from works. And this is what David says. If you want to know about Romans, Romans is a, a study on the Old Testament. If you see capital letters here, that we're, we're quoting something from the Old Testament. These are words of David and it says, Blessed are those, you are blessed, are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by faith. But we are also not saved by religion. Look in verse 9. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? When did Abraham get the seal of approval from God. Was it before he was circumcised or was it after? Because if it was after, then circumcision has something to do with us being saved. If that's the case, then we need to open up some clinics and get everybody circumcised, right? But that is not what it's about. It's about faith. He answers it here. He says, but while uncircumcised, verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of faith. He's saying, look, you don't have to be circumcised to have faith or to receive salvation from God. You have to follow in the footsteps of Abraham through his faith. It's interesting because in Genesis 15, Abraham is given the seal. 
He was faithful. It was credited to him as righteousness because of his faith. Circumcision didn't even enter the scene until two chapters later. Genesis 17, Isaac is circumcised 13 years later. It's not about circumcision. Some Jewish people would say it still is. It's still about doing works. It's still about the law. You have to be circumcised. Do this, this, this. A plus B plus C plus D equals salvation. And that's not what it's about at all. So Abraham, the faith of our father Abraham, he's declared righteous. In Romans 9 through 12, it talks about this. Faith was credited. But it's not just faith according to works or according to religion or circumcision, doing stuff. We're also not saved by the law. The Ten Commandments. You look at even the Jewish people today. It's not just about the Ten Commandments. If you're to count up all of the Old Testament Torah laws, 613 of them. If you've ever seen a Jewish person wearing the little tallest, the prayer shawl, there's all the little strings hanging down. If you were to count them, if you had a good afternoon to count them, there are 613 of them. Those are all of the laws. It's not just ten. And so people today, if you ask Jewish people, how are you saved? They will say, good deeds, prayer, fasting, and keeping the Torah. And we have to look at them and say, that is impossible. Nobody could fulfill the law. The reason we needed Jesus is none of you. I have trouble keeping ten let alone 613, and I'm telling you, there's not one Jewish person alive today that has kept all of them. In fact, miserable failures are all of us when it comes to this. So you look at the law in Romans 4.13, the promise. Now look at this word promise. It's going to come up a couple of times. The promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You get it? Faith keeps coming up here. For if those who were of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. That promise of the inheritance, the promise promise of being heirs, nullified if it's all according to the law because we can't do it. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. So we can't do it. And, and look, it, it might not be circumcision for you, right? It's, it's, it, these are like the old school things, but we have our own thing. Like if I just do the works of going to church or if I tithe or if I serve with kids, if I help the poor, if I help the needy, if I try to raise my kids to know the Lord, that will get me in, that will save me. And we forget about faith. We forget about this personal relationship. We forget about the way that God has said This is what must be done for your righteousness, for you to receive my righteousness. It's faith and faith alone. You look at every other religion, even Islam today, it's it's Allah's grace plus your deeds. And at the end of your life, when you are judged, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, plus if Allah chooses to be good to you, then you will receive paradise. that's, That's not how our God works. You, you mess up, you believe in him with an authentic faith. And so I, I want us to look, what was it about Abraham that God counted as, as such an amazing and great thing? So that's how we are not saved, this is how we're saved. But look at it through the example of Abraham, who lived an authentic faith in his life. For this reason, it is by faith 
in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed. The promise won't be nullified. The promise will be guaranteed. The promise of eternal life, of being heirs, receiving that inheritance to all of the descendants, not just the Jews, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Abraham, who is the father of us all. There's an importance here to to Father Abraham having many sons. You guys know the song, right? In the last couple weeks, I've definitely played my share of that song with our preschoolers, but think about this. Father Abraham, I used to sing the song. Now, if you don't know me, my background, I, I grew up Jewish. I went to a Messianic congregation. I was bar mitzvahed. But I used to sing this song, and this is how I used to sing it. Ready? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. I am a Jew. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. <laughs> And then I realized, wait, 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 it's not just the Jews. I am one of them and so are you. See, this faith has been given to everybody. You laugh. I used to sing it like that. I still, every once in a while, slip. And the kids are all, what? It's important that Abraham is the father of all nations, that he's the father of us all. Because look... Look in verses 18 and 19. This is fantastic. In hope against hope. No hope. We had no hope. But hope against hope, he believed. Abraham believed. Hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in his faith, he contemplated his own body. Let's talk about his body for a second. Now, as good as dead. Why? He's a hundred years old. He doesn't have any kids. And God is saying, you'll be the father of many nations. How many 100-year-olds do you see going to Babies R Us with the little registry gun trying to find something for the baby shower with Sarah? It doesn't happen. 100-year-old people don't have babies. Especially if they're men. His wife was 90. He looked at his body, 100-year-old body, and he's saying, God, I'm supposed to be the father of many nations. When is this going to happen? For 25 years, he waits and he waits, and finally, God gives him what he had promised. But it says he was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah's womb was a coffin. Nothing was going to come out of that womb. It was dead, 90 years old. Even back then when they were living hundreds and hundreds of years, they weren't having babies at 90 years old. It was just as impossible then. Hope against hope. As good as dead in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with, to, yet with the respect to the promise of God, the promise that you'll be heirs, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in his faith. Now, we, we've heard about the Hagar-Ishmael thing. He messed that up, and so I've had trouble reconciling this. But I'm going to tell you and be honest, I learned something this week. Because look at this next verse. 
With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, that God was able to perform. You know what this is referring back to? You have to go all the way back to Genesis 22, and I'm not going to read it, but you can later. God actually gives him a son 25 years later. He's a 100-year-old daddy going to preschool with his son Isaac. But God says, take your son, your only son, your only begotten son, the one on whom all of your descendants rest, and take him up to this mountain, Moriah, and you are going to sacrifice him there. God, what about the promise? Are you saying like there's another? I'm going to kill this one and get another one? How is this going to work? And you can read about this, this trip going up. And Isaac's saying, uh, I see fire, firewood, like we've got matches and stuff, but where's the, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. You've got to get some context for this. If you look at Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Notice it's not the Hall of Works, it's not the great works, but it's the people who had faith according to their faith. This is why they were great. It says this, Hebrews eleven twelve. Therefore, there was born even of one man in him, as good as dead, we're talking about Abraham, at that, as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. He's taking his one and only. Jump ahead to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested... The test wasn't waiting the 25 years. He failed that one. The test was offering up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Isaac is your only hope of having lots of kids, descendants. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. What blew my mind this week that I never put together, Abraham's faith was that he was willing to sacrifice his only son. Isaac is called a type. He's a foreshadow of of Jesus who was to come. It was a three-day trip from the moment that God said, take your son and sacrifice him. Abraham counted him as dead. I always thought that Abraham was thinking that there was going to be some ram caught in the bushes, but that's not what Abraham was thinking at all. Abraham was thinking, I am going to be murdering my son and somehow God is going to raise him back up from the dead. That's what Abraham was thinking. That was his faith. His entire lineage was tested at that moment. And so for three days, Isaac was dead to Abraham. Three days later, back to life. Awesome thing. We don't hear really about Isaac until... There's a marriage. There's a reunion. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. That is the faith of Abraham. That is what we need, is the authentic faith in trials that we do not grow weak in our faith, but we grow strong in our faith. But it's not just to Abraham, because look at this next passage. Verse 22, Therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. Verse 23, Now not for his sake only was it written, but it was credited to him but for our sake also. It's not just to the Romans, you and I are included in this. Our sake also, to whom it will be credited. We will receive the righteousness of God if we have the authentic faith of Abraham as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. 
We deserve salvation as much as Jesus deserved the cross. And our salvation hinges on our faith. Guys, I had a video. I'm not going to show it. I want to make sure that we understand this. It was for our sake also. Because of that, we've been set free. If we, we, we need to understand the goodness of God in this. We were going to dinner on Friday night. Three kids are in the car. My kindergartner, six-year-old Jed, he says this. In fact, you know what? It's on my phone. I had to write it down verbatim so I wouldn't mess it up. But check this out. It says, Daddy, when I get to heaven, instead of jumping into Jesus' lap in heaven, I would just bow before him in worship and tell him I don't deserve to go to heaven. Oh. He's a theologian. But he's got it right. We have received the righteousness of God by faith. My message to you guys today is to check your faith. Is it an authentic faith? Or have you been deceived into believing that all of the things and stuff and works that you do, that you are nice to elderly people and you buy Girl Scout cookie, whatever that is, and even greater things, are we deceived into thinking that that is our pass into heaven? Or is it faith? Spurgeon, he has this crazy quote that... Because there's some of us in here who we're, we're deceived into thinking that our salvation is because of the things that we have done. He says, the road to hell runs right through the center aisle of the church and under the pulpit. The fact that you're here this morning and you even brought a Bible does not get you saved. It is because of your faith. Romans 3 and 4, this is all that we're trying to get across. If you are not saved, if you don't have a saving relationship, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, put your faith in him today and stop trying so hard. He's not asking you to have it all together and to do lots more stuff so that you can be counted worthy or that you've completed all of the exercises you were supposed to do. Put your faith in him because he's the one, God is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. And if he did that for him, he will do that for you. And if you are a believer by faith, check your faith. Is it an authentic faith that is living for God? Or have you even just bought into that? I got to work. I got to do things for God so that he will count me as his. He's wiped our sins away. Our sins have been forgiven. We are no longer doomed. We are no longer lost. But we've been found. And the righteousness of God has been credited to us. It's by his blood that we have been saved. How does that make you feel? Christ, our Redeemer. Christ, our our propitiation, Christ, our salvation. Our response should be worship.
So let's worship our God. Would you pray with me? God, um, forgive us for having it wrong. Forgive us for seeking after things and stuff and works, trying to stack all of these things up to reach heaven when we completely fall short. We have all sinned and we've all fallen short of your glory, of your standard of perfection. God, I'm thankful that you're not just merciful, but you're just and that what you've given to us counts for something, that you are a righteous and amazing God. So we give this back to you the praise that you're due, not of ourselves, not of anything that we have done. And we come back in thankful adoration for our salvation. And Lord, as we go before you in worship, as we go to the stations and we remember what you have done symbolically, you've given your life, your body and your blood for our salvation, we remember Lord, as we give our finances, we don't do that as an act to get in better standing with you. But we just give. And Lord, some of us need prayer this morning, and so we humble ourselves and we receive that. Help us right now to respond with hearts that are in awe of what you've done and what you have given to each of us. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...